Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Hello and welcome to another episode of Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio Podcast. I'm your host. Each and every week, I've been doing a lot of these shows uh, over the last little bit, which I'll tell you about in a second. My name's Jared St. Clair. Today, psychobiotics. Psychobiotics, part two. If you didn't hear part one, that was last week on the radio, but it is episode 164 on the podcast. And I'm going to talk about how probiotics impact your brain, what we know so far and what we have yet to learn. Uh, part two is, I think, actually more detailed and certainly longer than part one because I'm not going to talk about anything else except for that on this episode. So if you're interested in brain health, if you're interested in neurological health, if you're interested in things for depression, anxiety, ADD, OCD, prevention of Parkinson's, prevention of Alzheimer's, dementia, and so on and so forth. This episode is for you. Vitality Radio, always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful at 107 South, 500 West in Bountiful. If you're not near Bountiful, that's okay. If you're within the sound of my voice, we can help you from Bountiful over the phone, through the mail, via email, whatever you want. Just give us a call, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Okay, so I mentioned in the intro that I've been doing some extra recording lately, and have I ever. I have done two long-form podcasts, too long for radio and probably too hot for radio in terms of the content of these podcasts. I would love for you to hear them. Episode 165 released a few days ago. And that is with Andre Angelantoni. And episode 167 will release next Wednesday. That'll be with Dr. Lawrence Pilevsky, who is a very outspoken critic of how things are being done when it comes to COVID-19, as is Andre, actually. But they're not COVID podcasts only. There's a lot of information outside of COVID that I think will be very helpful for you. It is controversial stuff. And my focus on Vitality Radio is not to make a controversial statement. It is to tell you how I feel about things and speak my truth, but not in a way that's designed to rile anybody up, but maybe pique some interest in an alternative viewpoint that uh, you may share if you dig into it a little bit. So that's what those episodes are, 165 with Andre, 167 with Dr. Pilevsky, and the only way you can get those is on the Vitality Radio podcast, which is available on just about every podcast app you can imagine, as well as vitalityradio.com. Okay, so as I said, today's show is part two of my long look at psychobiotics. What is a psychobiotic? If you didn't hear last episode, that's episode 164. I think it'll be very useful. If you like what you hear today, you should go back to the podcast and listen to 164. 
they don't necessarily go in order. There's a bunch of information in both of them, so you don't have to listen to one before you listen to the next. But a psychobiotic, in short, is still a probiotic, although now we're hearing about prebiotics and postbiotics that are also being coined psychobiotics, and we can talk a little bit about those later in the show. Regardless, we typically have thought about probiotics for our gut, IBS, Crohn's, colitis, diverticulitis, those types of things, diarrhea, constipation, you name it. And yet I am going to tell you that they play a vital role in your brain, as vital a role as they do in your gut. And that is because your gut plays a vital role in your brain. So it all ties together. And I want to tell you Today, I'm going to focus on a little bit of the history of psychobiotics. In fact, technically, this could almost be part one because I skipped over this. I had about 20 or 30 minutes of content left over from last week, which is why there is a part two. And I've added to that. And that edition is mostly a bit of a history lesson. If you hated history in school, I'm sorry. That's not this kind of a history lesson, I hope. <laughs> and there will be no homework or quiz. However, uh, we must learn from our history, right? Or we are doomed to repeat it. And uh, that's as vital a quote as there ever has been uh, in today's day and age. So let's talk about the history. Last week, I talked about Bacillus coagulans and Bacillus subtilis as two specific species that are being used for major depressive disorder and IBS with excellent success, in many cases, better success than medications. What I neglected to do, though, is give that history lesson on how we even learned any of this stuff. And I think it's important because I want you to understand where this is coming from, largely because it's not actually coming from natural and alternative sources. It's coming from the National Institutes of Health. Uh, the same people who are doing all kinds of shady things when it comes to COVID also do some good things when it comes to research. <laughs> the question is, does any of that research ever see the light of day? And this research, I want to make sure, does see the light of day because the value is fantastic. So let's get into that. Uh, the Center for Ecogenetics and Environmental Health at the University of Washington produced a two-page PDF that I'm going to read almost word for word. It's well-written and not boring, so stay tuned. I think you'll enjoy it. And the reason I am is I don't think I could have worded it much better, and they give us some very specific details about where this research is coming from, although I'm not going to read even one whole page of this. So what is the microbiome is the first question. We humans are mostly microbes. In fact, our microbes outnumber our human cells 10 to 1. The majority live in our gut particularly in the large intestine. Now, think about that. We have more bacterial cells than we have human cells by a magnitude of 10, 10x. The microbiome is the genetic material of all the microbes, that's bacteria, fungi, protozoa, and viruses that live on and inside the human body. The number of genes in all the microbes in one person's microbiome is 200 times the number of genes in the human genome, the microbiome may weigh as much as five pounds. Now, if you think about that, just think about what five pounds of butter 
looks like. And think about that as bacteria. That's an unholy amount of bacteria, viruses, and so on and so forth that we have in and on our bodies. And most of them are our friends, not our enemies. They protect us from our enemies in many ways. So the bacteria in the microbiome help digest our food, regulate our immune system, protect against other bacteria that cause disease, and produce vitamins, including B vitamins such as B12, B1, and B2, and vitamin K, which is needed for blood coagulation so we don't bleed out. Genetically speaking, 200 times as many genes expressed in the human microbiome, meaning the bacterial cells as the actual human cells. That's pretty crazy. So what does the microbiome have to do with our health? Well, the microbiome is essential for human development, immunity, and nutrition. The bacteria live in and on us and are not invaders, but actually beneficial colonizers. Autoimmune disease such as diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, muscular dystrophy, multiple sclerosis, and fibromyalgia are associated with dysfunction in the microbiome. Disease-causing microbes accumulate over time, changing gene activity and metabolic processes and resulting in an abnormal immune response against substances and tissues normally present in the body. Autoimmune diseases appear to be passed in families not by DNA or typically what would be considered genetics, but by inheriting the family's microbiome. Some examples of this, the gut microbiome is different between obese and lean twins. Obese twins have lower diversity of bacteria and higher levels of enzymes, meaning the obese twins are more efficient at digesting food and harvesting calories. Obesity has also been associated with a poor combination of microbes in the gut. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease associated with a less diverse gut microbiome. In animal studies, bacteria play a role in developing diabetes. Dust from homes with dogs may reduce the immune response to allergens and other asthma triggers by changing the composition of the gut microbiome. Infants who live in homes with dogs have been found to be less likely to develop childhood allergies. I thought that was very interesting. Fecal microbiota transplantation, that's kind of what it sounds like, pulling fecal matter from one healthy human and putting it into a sick human to try and heal them from things like C. diff, for instance, is a clinical procedure that restores healthy bacteria in the colon by introducing stool by colonoscopy or enema from a healthy human donor. Potentially, fatal C. diff infections have been cured using fecal transplant to restore health uh, sorry, healthy gut microbiota. Fecal transplant is also used to treat colitis, constipation, and irritable bowel syndrome. Now, that may sound pretty gross, but it's very interesting when you think about what's actually happening there. Someone without C. diff donates some of their fecal matter to someone with C. diff, and it cures the C. diff. That's a big deal if you think about it. Really, really big deal. Also, I find it interesting that what we've learned about uh, the genetic side of this, that we, and, and that's where all this came from. The Human Microbiome Project actually came as a spinoff of what's called the Human Genome Project, where they were trying to figure out what it was 
genetically that made us sick. And then they determined that, oh, there's 200 times more genes and bacteria. We better start studying that. And they've been studying that ever since. Really, really interesting stuff. If you think about how critical the specific word diversity is to our gut, because we've often talked about our gut levels of bacteria. Do we have enough bacteria in our gut? It's very recent that we've started talking about, do we have enough diversity in our gut? Yet we hear about diversity in our population all the time. And I guess the human gut is as big or, well, more of a melting pot than the United States is in terms of diversity, or at least it should be. Because remember, in both of those examples of the obese twins versus the lean twin, it was associated with a less diverse microbiome and also people with type 1 diabetes associated with a less diverse microbiome. So we're going to talk about that diversity uh, down the road a little bit, but I want you to just keep that in mind as I move through some of this information for you. And all of this will have, I'll, I'll wrap it up nice and tidy at the end to give you some ideas on what you can do to improve your microbiome and therefore improve your overall health. And of course, we're going to really talk a lot about why it matters when it comes to our brains. So Discover Magazine, an article written by Elizabeth Zvoboda, Zvoboda, <laughs> that's a tough name, uh, but uh, Discover Magazine and Elizabeth Zvoboda, sorry, wrote an article that is really cool because it actually, the, the, the research in here predates even the Human Microbiome Project, which started 2008. In the early, uh, or sorry, mid-2000s, so a few years before that, a researcher, John Cryan of Ireland University's College Cork, was among the first to explore gut microbes' effects on the brain specifically. A neurobiologist by training Cryan had shown that rats stressed from birth later showed signs of both irritable bowel syndrome and mood disturbance. I think that's interesting because we're talking about a stress response, okay? And it created irritable bowel syndrome and mood disturbance, or at least there was a correlation there. When they grew up, Cryan says, they had a whole body syndrome. This finding echoed doctors' observations that many patients with digestive symptoms also had mental health issues and vice versa. And I mentioned this on last week's episode. I believe that this is a real, a real thing. Obviously, clinically, they're proving it now, but anecdotally, I've seen this for years. I rarely have anybody that comes into Vitality Nutrition and tells me they're dealing with anxiety or depression that doesn't also deal with gut health issues. It's, it's a very unusual thing. They typically have acid reflux or they've got IBS or they've got constipation that they deal with on a regular basis, or they have very loose stools, diarrhea, that sort of thing. There's almost always something when it comes to gut health for people who come in because they're concerned about their mental health. So very, very interesting stuff. So let's talk a little bit more about the fecal transplants. Several innovative studies since 2016 show that fecal transplants can shape behavior profoundly. According to uh, doctors Bilsma and Taylor, when mice in one Chinese study got transplants of feces from other healthy mice, their behavior remained 
unchanged. That's healthy mice to healthy mice. But when mice received fecal transplants from donors with signs of anxiety and depression, the mice started to show signs of mood disturbance. A separate study published in Molecular Psychiatry showed mice that received fecal transplants from depressed humans also developed depressive symptoms. On the other hand, stressed out mice in 2019 study received transplants from unstressed animals and began acting less depressed. By changing the intestinal microbiome, researchers can actually change the rodent's behavior, said Bilsma, who was not involved with the studies. That implies there is a causal effect. Now, let's dig through that just a minute. That's really interesting stuff. A healthy, mentally healthy mouse, no depression or stress symptoms, given fecal matter from a depressed or anxious mouse, became depressed and anxious. Think about that for a minute. That's really, really powerful research. And they've done it both directions, right? In fact, they've done it all three directions. Giving a mouse fecal matter from another mouse that isn't dealing with any issues, nothing changed. Giving a healthy mouse unhealthy or unmentally healthy, I'll say, feces, made a change in a negative way. And giving an unhealthy, mentally healthy, a stressed rat mouse, healthy feces, reversed it. That's big because we've talked, we have talk therapy, right? We have um, drugs, mostly SSRIs, but a variety of different pharmaceuticals that are used for depression and anxiety. Uh, also benzodiazepines, which are extremely addictive and dangerous. And none of those things address the gut at all. Now, I'm not saying that none of those things have a place. They certainly can. And I believe that what you believe in your head is probably the single biggest factor when it comes to anxiety and depression. I've seen enough evidence of that to know that that's a big, big deal. There even is evidence, although it's very uh, new evidence and very thin so far, that when we change our mindset when it comes to mental illness, meaning we do things to become less depressed and anxious from a mental standpoint in terms of how we look at life, our viewpoint, our perspective and perceptions and so on, that our gut actually follows that, that the bacteria starts to change and shift in our gut. How's that for very, very interesting stuff? So the mind over matter thing is, is real for sure, but the gut over the brain seems to be maybe as real as anything. If we can fix that, that changes things in a dramatic way. And it's important to understand too that while the pharmaceuticals for depression are also often recommended for people with IBS, which I never understood for years, but now I do because the connection is so obvious, but they're only really effective for about 25% of the people that go on them, 25%, and the side effects are big. And the getting on and off of them can be very dangerous. There's a lot of factors. The biggest factor is they don't fix anything at all. If you're going to be on an antidepressant, you're going to be on an antidepressant for the rest of your life unless you do something else to solve your problems. The drug won't do that for you. And oftentimes, and you may be personally aware of this, once you've been on the drug for a few years, it doesn't work like it used to. So... What we're talking about here is an underlying 
situation that can actually be fixed, be resolved. And I think that is amazing and extremely exciting. Okay, so human studies. Talked about the rats. Let's talk about what we found in humans. Human studies of oral probiotic therapy are a bit further along. A survey of small-scale controlled trials found that bifidobacterium, bacillus bacterium, and lactobacillus strains all improve depressive symptoms overall, while other studies show similar effects on anxiety. And I discussed that in some detail on the last episode, so uh, refer back to that. One Australian study published in 2017 even suggests that a diet higher in beneficial bacteria can banish depression in more than a third of people. Now, that's really awesome and really exciting because that's just dietary changes. So that's basically adding fermented foods to your diet. Now, yogurt, unless it's a, a raw yogurt that you're you know making yourself, probably not the answer, but things like real sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha, those types of things that are really rich in live bacteria, those are the things that are being used in these studies and showing a significant improvement it can banish depression in a third of people. Now think about that because right now we know that SSRIs are effective in about 25% of people eating fermented cabbage can be effective in 30 33% of people. That's big. That's really really big information. Uh, a Japanese trial in 2019 showed that 12 of 29 participants with schizophrenia who ingested a specific bifidobacteria strain saw their depression and anxiety symptoms lift within just four weeks. Now, it's only 12 of 29, but that's still better than 25%. Isn't that amazing? I mean, these numbers are really, really amazing, and we're talking about just bacteria. The next psychobiotics milestone, scientists say, will be full-scale clinical trials that show whether microbes or microbial cocktails boost well-being beyond placebo effects, common in psychiatric treatment studies. You need trials and you need placebo control in those trials, says researcher Reyes. If you have a trial that works, you need to replicate it in an indexed population. We'll likely be waiting at least two years for those definitive results. One sticking point is the outcome or in the outcome could come from drug companies and whether they can identify a substantial profit. Many gut-based remedies contain naturally occurring bacteria, which makes them difficult to patent. Now, I think that's a really, really important statement. And that was from Discover Magazine, not from me, but, it, but it's real. If a treatment can't be patented and can't potentially be a million selling drug or billion selling selling drug in this case, then pharmaceutical companies don't have any real desire or motivation to study it. And that will be, I think, the grand challenge of all this because these bacteria are naturally occurring. Yes, there are certain strains that have been patented, and I anticipate, in fact, I can just about guarantee that drug companies will come up with patented versions of these probiotics for the use in for use in mental health. I believe that's on the horizon. Now, I don't know how long it'll take for those to get approved. The FDA approves things very, very quickly nowadays all of a sudden. But uh you know, I think we're waiting five to 10 years before we see anything like that, maybe longer. 
But we'll see how that goes. And it does go to show that the motivations for pharmaceutical companies are on patents because that's how they make their money and big money. And so if they have patents on things like Prozac and Zoloft and Lexapro, then why compete against themselves marketing something that can't be patented or researching something that can't be patented? So that'll be an interesting thing. Cryan, the researcher that started a lot of this with psychobiotics, uh, said that there will be a pharmaceutical strategy and it would be very, very clear in order for them to continue to research this. Another issue, though, is that while certain types of bacteria have more profound effects on the brain than others, there probably won't be any magic bullet strains that work for everyone. Some gut bacteria function best alongside a constellation of varieties, complicating the picture further, especially since gut bugs number in the trillions and represent more than 500 different species. Now, that's an interesting number, and this is from Discover Magazine, but I've been told that it's over 1,000 now that have been isolated. So you're talking about a huge variety of species, like I said, mass diversity, and that matters. One bacterial profile might be good for one person and one for another person, says Bilsma. The findings are not always consistent, and with fecal transplants, it can be difficult to control exactly what bacterial species a patient receives. And that's important for sure, because a fecal transplant is going to introduce probably uh, hundreds, if not thousands of bacteria into the body of the recipient, meaning that we don't know exactly what bacteria is doing what. So those studies, while very, very helpful in figuring out whether or not that works, and it appears that it works very, very well. In fact, I'm currently talking to somebody who's an expert in that topic, and, and I'm hoping to have her on the show soon to talk about fecal transplants because I'm fascinated by it. But uh, that's hard. So what most of the research is probably going to have to focus on are specific strains of bacteria, which is great. But yes, it would limit the effectiveness for certain people, I think. So maybe the overriding question would be how do we just plain get up our gut diversity in such a way that it doesn't matter that we're focusing on a specific strain and it doesn't matter who the individual is that if we can just get their diversity up high enough and their colonization up high enough, that their gut will be healthy and therefore anything that is happening in the brain due to the dysbiosis of the gut would be improved. So right now, we're, we, we really are left with that. What can we do? from a DIY perspective, you know, because the research is is great, it's powerful, and we have some very specific things, like I talked about last week on episode uh, 164 of the podcast. We have some specific strains, bacillus coagulans, and there's a specific form of bacillus coagulans uh, actually made by a company called Sabinsa. And that form of bacillus coagulans has been shown to be very effective in major depressive disorder and in IBS and is available over the counter in a variety of different products, including a product uh, that I developed called Back on Tract that I specifically developed to help people with IBS type symptoms. But what we've seen over the years is that when we get that particular strain of bacteria 
into people that deal with IBS symptoms, oftentimes they also get excellent success with mental health symptoms, anxiety and depression and things like that. So there are some good ones out there and we know that they work. The part two of this part two episode, which I'll do for the last you know 15 minutes or so of the show, will focus on what we know about the specific forms of bacteria so far, what the difference is between what's called a spore-forming bacteria and a human strain bacteria and why that matters because it matters a lot. In my opinion, it matters almost 100%. So I'm going to explain that and then what you can do on your own to better improve your brain health by improving your gut health and your microbiome. And don't worry, if you don't deal with anxiety or depression, but you deal with gut stuff, it'll help with that too. So I'm going to cut to a quick break. When I come back, I'm going to hit you with that information, what you can do to fix your gut biome, therefore, hopefully fixing a lot of stuff going on in your brain. That's next. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. After decades of helping people with their nutritional supplement needs, I have observed something that seems almost universal. People seem to have a lot of products that they have experimented with. Some might have been recommended by a blog or online, others from a magazine article, and yet another by a friend or family member. Information is coming at us at a rapid pace nowadays, and everyone has an opinion. The problem is that there is only one really big wild card in health and nutrition, and that wild card is you. I know you've heard the infomercials, seen the ads, or talked to that neighbor who has that cure-all product that can do it all for your health. The problem is that supplement doesn't exist. What's right for your neighbor isn't always right for you. At Vitality Nutrition, we've been asking the right questions for years. What I mean by this is, we don't just sell supplements, we consult with our clients and ask them the key questions needed to make sure we match the right supplement to the right person. If you feel better about a team approach to your health, give us a call and one of our well-educated Vitality team members will answer your questions and help you find just what it is that you need to address your health concerns, naturally. You can reach us at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or drop us an email, info at vitalityradiopod.com. That's info at vitalityradiopod.com. Welcome back to Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio podcast. I'm your host each and every week. I'm Jared St. Clair. We're talking about psychobiotics on today's episode, what probiotics in your gut mean to your brain, how they can help with things like depression, anxiety, ODD, ADD, ADHD, uh, PTSD. I'm trying to think of all the Ds, uh, but anyway, you get it. All of those types of mental health concerns and excellent evidence that they are preventative of neurological disorders such as Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and dementia, things like that. So that's what we're talking about today. Vitality Radio always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful at 107 South, 500 West. That's Vitality Nutrition. Our phone number there is 801-292-6662. That's 801 292 
6662. And if you're nowhere near Bountiful, that's okay. Just give us a call. We'll take care of you wherever you are. Uh, okay, so I left off basically sharing the the research and the studies and the discussion about fecal transplants and what they can do and so on and so forth. In the last little bit, I want to discuss how you know what type of probiotic is actually a psychobiotic as well. I would tell you that even though the research isn't there for all of the different strains specific to mental health, that all probiotics at least have the potential to improve mental health simply based on the fact that they improve gut health. And we've already talked about the critical nature of the gut-brain axis. That being said, there are different types of probiotics, and there may not be a more controversial segment of the natural products marketplace. I don't know if controversial is even the right word. Confusing, certainly, is a word. We have a lot of people that come into Vitality Nutrition that feel like they've been inundated with information about probiotics, but none of it was particularly useful in terms of trying to figure out what probiotics actually take. And there are a lot of excellent marketers out there marketing their products, some good and some not so good. But what we do know, and we absolutely know in terms of the research that's been done so far, as that the is that the probiotics that are efficacious for mental health are about five that have good solid studies on that I have found so far. One is called Bacillus coagulans. It is still my favorite of all probiotics. I'm going to go into some detail on why that is in a minute. Another is Bacillus subtilis. Bacillus coagulans has shown to be extremely effective for major depressive disorder, known as MDD, the type of depression that typically ends you up on an SSRI or something like that. Uh, it has also shown some benefit in IBS, in substantial benefit in IBS, and fantastic benefit in immuno uh, response to uh, viral infections. So it's wide ranging in its benefits and the clinical trials on it are excellent. Bacillus subtilis has been shown specifically to help with tryptophan uptake in the body, which helps with serotonin, which would then complement or potentially even alleviate the need for an antidepressant if serotonin is your biggest concern when it comes to depression. That model is taking a hit right now in the research. Maybe serotonin has a lot less to do with depression than we originally thought. In terms of a cause, it may be more of a symptom. But uh, regardless, Bacillus subtilis does help with serotonin production, which can help with sleep and with uh, mild depression, things like that. So that's pretty interesting. The others are, and, and those two are spore-forming probiotics, also known as soil based probiotics. Some people call them SBOs. The ones that are human strain probiotics that have clinical data showing that they work for depression are actually, one is a bifido strain and one is a lactobacillus strain. Those would be human and human strain probiotics are the ones that are native to our human gut. Soil-based probiotics or spore-forming probiotics are native to our environment. So we get them because we breathe them in, we eat them in, uh, we 
get exposed to them on our skin and so on and so forth when we get dirty. But they're not native to the human gut. And as such, there's a lot of confusion between the two different types of probiotics. And I want to go into that because it's really, really important. So human strain probiotics are the native strains that belong in the human gut. We already discussed earlier that 500 to 1,000, and there I've even heard some experts estimate there might be as many as 2,000 different organisms are living in the gut. And at the very beginning of the program, if you didn't hear it, I discussed the importance of understanding that in the research where they're finding mental health uh, issues in guts with low bacteria, it's not a low bacterial count that seems to be the problem. It's a low bacterial diversity that seems to be a problem. And that's a big difference because what we didn't know until really they started researching this in depth in 2008 is that the diversity of the gut bacteria might matter more than the quantity altogether. And the challenge with diversity is that antibiotics are challenging for the entire gut microbiome, but they seem to be harder on some than others. And it is possible for you to wipe out specific strains completely with antibiotic therapy or even through dietary issues and stress and things like that, those levels can be lowered. And then when you go to a human strain probiotic as a supplement, you are supplementing not 500 or 1,000 different strains, but usually 8, 15, 30. There's one on the market that has 60 different strains. That's the biggest, beefiest one I've seen so far, at least from a company that I, that I trust. But 60 strains is a drop in the bucket versus 500 or 1,000 or 2,000, right? And so then you can end up getting your numbers up, but your diversity stays down and as a percentage of your total bacteria actually gets worse. And in some clinical trials, they are proving that that is a big problem. So human strain probiotics, I believe in short-term use for symptomatic things, can be very, very helpful. There's no doubt. There's tons of clinicals showing they can help with diarrhea and constipation. There's tons of clinicals they show they can help with things like gassiness and bloating. There's all kinds of evidence that they can do wonderful things for a lot of that stuff, including even fungal infections and candida and things like that. But in long-term trials, not many of which have been done, but of some of the ones that I've actually seen with human strain probiotics, in many cases, the benefit drops off after six months, sometimes even shorter. And what appears to be the case and is the biggest concern for me is that you have to be on them ongoing to maintain any benefit at all. In other words, you don't just go on one for a month or two after an antibiotic and all of a sudden you're back to where you were before an antibiotic. They are not stable in heat. They're not stable in stomach acid and they're not stable in at specific different levels of moisture. And therefore, they have a hard time surviving into the gut and actually colonizing. What happens with them is they become lysed bacteria, which means they're actually dead, but they're still bacterial fragments going through the intestinal tract. And those create benefit, but on a symptomatic level, not on a therapeutic level that would actually right the ship, so to speak, when it comes to your gut. 
So how do we write the ship? Well, some of the best research that I've read, oh, I'm not even going to say that. The best research that I've read has come from a variety of sources specific to these bacillus strains, bacillus coagulans, bacillus subtilis, bacillus indicus, and so on. There's a handful of them. The ones that have the most research by far are subtilis and coagulants. And those are the ones that I specifically mentioned earlier for depression and IBS and serotonin levels and things like that. So this is a big deal that we know that there's research proving that they work. The question to me is, why do they work? How do they work? And do we have to use them forever? So let's talk about soil-based versus human form. I already talked about the weaknesses of human probiotics because they live, they were made to live and have consistently done so well in the human gut until we've done a lot of intervening things to kill them like antibiotics and antibiotics in our food and human antibiotics sprayed on our food like Roundup and things like that. But the thing about the human gut is it's a pretty constant pH level as far as acidity. It's a constant temperature level. It's a constant moisture level. These fluctuate a little bit, but not much. And the probiotics are frankly spoiled and kind of wussy. You get them out of the human gut and heat will kill them and moisture or not enough moisture will kill them and acid will kill them and so on and so forth. And the problem is in the human stomach or the human stomach is also known as the acid barrier. And why is it called the acid barrier? Because the high stomach acid in the stomach is not just for digesting your food, it's for killing pathogenic things that might come through and make you sick. E. coli as a, for instance. I believe that it's that acid barrier that is the biggest challenge for probiotics of human form to survive and get into the intestinal tract. Now, there are a lot of opinions on this. There is also a lot of research on it, but some of it is not definitive. But one bit of research that we have that I believe is definitive based on what I've been able to tell, and it's, I shouldn't say one bit because there's multiple research studies showing the same thing, which is why I believe it's definitive, is that most human strain probiotics don't ever get to the point where they colonize the gut. They just don't. They can provide symptom relief 100%. And some can even get to the gut and start to colonize. However, even that might be more of a negative in the long term than a positive based on the individual's gut diversity. I believe one of the reasons that fecal transplant works so well is because you're getting a fully diverse colonization of the good bacteria that's coming in from the, the donor. And that is not the same as taking a supplement that has 15 different strains in it, for instance. So what about the spore-based probiotics? Well, there's only a few strains of those as well, but they're not human. They don't belong necessarily in the human gut. I, I kind of think they do because I think we were meant to get dirt in our mouths from time to time and to get dirty on our skin and so on and so forth, but they're not native to the gut. They're native to the environment. Therefore, they survive stomach acid without a problem. You can store them at 400 degrees and they don't die. So as long as you're not storing your bottle in your oven, they're going to be safe for travel and all the other stuff. And moisture levels don't seem to impact them much. 
So what we have is a really, really resilient type of probiotic as opposed to a very, very wimpy type of probiotic. And that matters. That means they get to the gut all the way down to the colon where the rubber meets the road when it comes to gut colonization of good bacteria. And when they get there, this is what they do. And I love this. They don't grow themselves. They don't colonize and make lots more bacillus coagulans or lots more bacillus subtilis. In fact, they are transient in nature. They don't stick around. On average, it appears based on the research that they do hang out in the gut for a while though, maybe 30 to 45 days. And there's a lot of variables from person to person on that. While they're in there, they make changes to the environment in the gut. They help to produce some things that matter, including natural antibiotics that kill off pathogenic things, but don't kill off good, healthy bacteria. So that's really cool. In fact, it's shown that they may produce as many as 21 different natural antibiotics. That's powerful stuff. So they're wiping out bad guys and bad guys and good guys in the gut. It's like a turf war. It literally is a fight for space to colonize and grow and live. And if you get a bacterial infection, that is basically a bacteria that has colonized and overcome the body's natural resistance of good bacteria to then grow and procreate in that area and create issues. Well, what we're trying to do is choke out those bad guys so that the colonization that's happening is all good guys. We win the turf war and we protect ourselves against pathogenic things, whether they be viral, bacterial, fungal, or whatever else. That is awesome. So that's step one. Step two is they create a combination of different environmental shifts, including a shift in the actual uh, environment in the gut that allows good bacteria to grow. They create a high level of lactic acid in there. Much of the bacteria in the gut is, is what's called lactobacillus, and it feeds on that stuff and grows. And so it's a beautiful thing because they're coming into the neighborhood and cleaning it up, and then they're making the neighborhood better for everybody that lives there so they can raise their families, essentially. And that is powerful because now what we're doing is not creating a less diverse environment in the gut. We're creating a more diverse environment in the gut because all, well, okay, let me, let me step that back a minute. We're creating as diverse a variety as was already existing and then growing it. So you get the same diversity you already had and you're growing it. What appears to be the case, and I, near as I can tell, this is theory more than it is science, but it's scientific theory, is that as your numbers grow, the colonization of overall bacteria growth occurs and you're wiping out the pathogenic stuff that is fighting for space in the gut, what's happening is overall, you're just making an overall shift in gut health. And that is what's happening with major depressive disorder, anxiety, things like that. Because as the gut gets healthier, the brain gets healthier. Neurological signaling uh, is improved. So neurotransmitters can move from neuron to neuron and get where they need to get to fix what's going on upstairs by fixing what's going on in the basement. And that is 
how probiotics work as psychobiotics, and that is why they're so important. So what do you look for in a probiotic to make sure you're getting the right stuff? Well, the studies that I shared on last week's episode were based on two probiotics that are known as lactospore. Now, lactospore is interesting because it's a very, it's a uniquely patented form of bacillus coagulans and of bacillus subtilis. And we have clinical trials on those specific strains, so we know that those forms actually work. And those are found in a product called Back on Tract from 10-Day Results. Now, full disclosure, I developed that product for 10-Day Results, and it is my baby. I absolutely love it. I use it every day myself, and I recommend it constantly because people get such good results with it for IBS-type stuff. And... That is primarily what we've been using it for, but it makes all kinds of sense for the brain as well, especially in light of what we've learned about the actual association of mental illness along with the gut illness and how very few people with depression and anxiety don't also have gut issues. So back on track is my my go-to for that sort of thing because it actually has the clinically proven spores in it. Plus it has digestive enzymes, which is another part of my Vital 5 that I feel is just absolutely critical to optimal human nutrition. And it has herbs in it help to overcome uh, excess inflammatory reactions in the gut itself. So very, very comprehensive there. If you're looking outside of that product and you're wondering, am I getting the right stuff? Look for bacillus coagulans or bacillus subtilis, but know that those are already both on board and back on track. Also, if you can find the lactospore variety of those two, those are the ones that have the clinical backing. Now, there's another product that has excellent clinical backing too, and you've heard me talk about it on Vitality Radio before, and that is Just Thrive. Now, Just Thrive does not use lactospore. They use other patented uh, forms, bacillus coagulans and bacillus subtilis. There's also bacillus indicus in there and bacillus clausi. And all four have good clinical backing proving that they work for that gut colonization and for a variety of other things, including some good research showing they actually can help with ASD or autism spectrum disorder. So Just Thrive is a little more comprehensive than Back on Track in terms of the probiotic side, but not as comprehensive in terms of the gut health side uh, for digestion and things like that. So you kind of have to decide what you're after. uh, But Both products are absolutely awesome. The feedback we've had on them over the last 10 years and seven years that we've had them has been basically next level feedback in terms of nutritional supplements. I mean, consistently, we just get raves about these products. They really, really do work. They're also guaranteed by both the manufacturer and by us at Vitality because we're so confident that you're going to love them that we have no hesitation in guaranteeing that. And they just plain do the job. And what I love about this psychobiotic topic is that it's an offshoot of the probiotic topic, but we have to bring it back around to probiotics being what they are, and that is overall in short supply in many human digestive systems, always under attack and in need uh, for overall health. It's one of the best things you can do for your immune response. It's one of the best things that you can do for your brain. It's one of the best things that you can do for your gut. It is just critical stuff. Probiotics matter and they matter a significant amount. Also, don't forget to eat your probiotics and things like kimchi and sauerkraut. 
Those are fantastic as well. Kombucha. Yogurt, if it's not raw, usually not great on the probiotic side, but there are some that have some pretty good probiotic levels in them. But I prefer the others that I mentioned. So that's the topic of psychobiotics. If you have questions, you can call us at Vitality, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Now, I want to remind you, I've done these special episodes and they will continue. I've got two more doctors lined up to talk to uh, in two weeks and three weeks from today-ish. So those will happen towards the end of October. Uh, we'll launch those special special episodes. But one is already up with Andre, Angela, and Tony. Another is going up next Wednesday with Dr. Larry Pilevsky. These are bigger, longer, hour and a half to two hour episodes that I can't do on the radio. They also uh, contain some more controversial information that uh, I don't share now on the radio. And they are great. I think you'll really enjoy them. Go in with an open mind, ready to learn, and you'll learn from some real experts. Uh, those are episodes 165 and 167. Of course, 165 has already aired or is already up. 167 will be next Wednesday. Okay. I've got to wrap up for the day. Thank you so much for listening to Vitality Radio. I greatly appreciate your ears. And in this time where so many people are looking for information about their health and they're looking for something that might not be just part of the narrative, shows like Vitality Radio, I believe, matter. And I have, am pouring more and more passion and research into this project to get the information out there that I believe needs to be heard. So if you agree with me, please share it with your friends and family through any of the podcast apps or vitalityradio.com. And again, if you have questions, call us at Vitality Nutrition, 801-292-6662. Thank you for listening. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been another episode of Vitality Radio. been listening to the vitality radio podcast enjoy your week in the meantime jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it vitality radio is researched and written by jared st Clair, produced by elizabeth joy windham with very limited help from jared our awesome music is by brian bob young Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.